So yeah, like I was saying, my name is Nathan, and uh, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Um, part of my calling is to carry the gospel to various places around the world, and uh, that has led me to East Africa multiple times. Um, and while I've been there in East Africa, I have spent some time with a man named Sigwadzi. In the local language, it means lion, which is kind of fun. And Sigwadzi is the type of guy, he's real artsy, he's the type of guy who can take a word, does this microphone sound a little bit weird to anybody? Yeah. It's not on. Uh, maybe just, yeah, turn it down, maybe. You guys can hear my normal voice, right? Yeah. All right. So, here we go. Um, yeah, so Sigwazi is in East Africa, and uh, he, he's the type of guy who can take any, any word or any song or any, any bit of writing, and he can turn it in to, here, we're just going to do this. All right. Okay. <laughs> Woo. One of those days. All right. Yeah, so Sigwazi, he can take any bit of writing or he can take a scripture or anything and he can turn it into a song really, really quick. Um, and uh, he does this all the time. As we were translating the Hodges Bay Bible, he, d he continued doing this all the time. And uh, we got to Ephesians and he actually helped us to translate Ephesians into the Hodges Bay language. And we read Ephesians 5 and he came up with this song. It goes a little bit like this. It's one of my favorites. Amka, Amka way way. It means, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine his light on you. And it comes out of Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. We're going to be jumping around Ephesians a lot today, so if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and flip there or put your, finger and, and, and put your finger in there as a bookmark, or if you have it on your phone or whatever, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5, so just go ahead and find that real quick. And as you do, um, if you're anything like me, you've been hearing this word a lot recently, wake up. Yeah? It, uh... I'm not here to unlock any kind of political can of worms. That's not my goal, so we're not going to get into the nature of why people have been saying that. But the, the general sense is that people who are communicating that in our culture are saying, hey, there's a huge group of people in our culture who have been lulled to sleep. There's a false sense of security, and, and, and you see this thing going on in our culture? Well, you need to do something about it. You need to change it somehow. You need to wake up, right? That, that's what people are trying to communicate. Whatever context you're seeing it in, whether it's political or social or whatever, the basic idea is that the status quo cannot remain the same. Something needs to change. You know, not too long ago, I was reading a post on Facebook, and uh, I didn't agree with anything that the person wrote in the post. <laughs> but they, I got to the end, and the person said, are you awake yet? You need to wake up. And I thought to myself, yeah, I do need to wake up. Like, even though I didn't agree at all with anything that was said, there was still this sense in me that, that I had been lulled to sleep, that I had been deceived somehow, that something, there was something that I had missed, and I didn't want to miss it. I think that's really why I, I hated uh, taking naps when I was a kid. You guys know what it's like. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon, and 
you fall asleep, it's like 3 o'clock in the winter, and you wake up, and it's like 5, and it's dark outside, and it's time for dinner, and like you have to go sit down at the dinner table, and you're like, oh, I don't even know what's happening right now. And uh, like I hated that feeling, but I also hated this idea that you had maybe somehow missed something that had happened in the day. Like, oh, maybe there was something exciting that had happened or, or entertaining or, oh, man, I, I, I didn't like the idea that maybe I, I had missed something. I don't think any of us like that idea, right? Uh, none of us are, are, are happy with the idea that we've been somehow lulled to sleep or been deceived or, or missed something. I, I, I think none of us want to be told that we need to wake up. It's just not something that we particularly enjoy. That's what makes these words from Paul so interesting in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Here's what he says. Have nothing to do with foolish deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage, and the easiest way to understand what Paul's trying to say is to understand this passage in the context of the fullness of Ephesians. As many of you know, the book of Ephesians was a letter written by Paul to the Christians living in the town called Ephesus. And Ephesus at that time was famous. And it was famous for two reasons. First, it was a very wealthy port city. So it was all kinds of wealth going in and out of there. Second, it was the home of one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. And uh, Artemis was a fertility uh, god in the Greek or Roman pantheon, I don't know. And uh, if you look up pictures of Artemis, you don't have to do it right now, you'll find that there is a, a woman's figure covered in female chest yeah, covered in breasts. All right, so there we go. I said that word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, that's, that's what, so it was all about fertility, and they did all kinds of crazy things worshiping this god. And, uh, yeah, rich port city. And at a general level, uh, Paul, <coughs> excuse me, Paul, in this letter, it, it, he does two major things. In the first three chapters of this letter, he explains the gospel, the good news of Jesus that you are saved because he died on the cross for your sins, that you have been grafted in and chosen and brought into God's family, not by anything that you did, but because of what Jesus did for you. It's, it's amazing news. It's good news. And in fact, in this part of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul quotes that or writes that those famous words, for you are saved by faith through grace, is not of your own works. It's a free gift of God so that no one can boast. Famous passage, exciting passage, joyful passage. We, I mean, we can get excited about those words because what it conveys is that no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, it doesn't really matter because it's all about what Jesus has done for you. It's all about the fact that Jesus has paid the price for your sins. You, you can't do enough. You can't say enough prayers. You can't go to church and sit in the chair enough times per week. You can't give enough money. You can't say enough nice things. You can't be sinless enough. No matter what, it's all about what he did for you. That's amazing news. There's 
one way to salvation, and he's a person, and his name is Jesus. So that's the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then in the second three chapters of Ephesians, Paul does something really interesting. He begins to share how the gospel should impact our life, how the good news of Jesus should change us. And it's really, this is the part that I think that many of us have missed. It's not the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, not just about salvation. It's not about just getting out of free, getting out of hell free. It's about transformation. It's about becoming more like Christ. And this is where things might get a little bit confusing because it's a biblical fact that you cannot save yourself. You cannot do enough good things. It's always by grace. It's a biblical fact that that you are saved by grace. But the gospel doesn't end with salvation. It begins with salvation and continues through transformation. We're supposed to see our lives change here and now, not just in some future heaven at some point where we'll be united with God forever, but here and now, today. And ultimately, this life change calls for good works. It calls for holiness. It calls for obedience. Now, uh, I hope that if you're listening Some of you just had a little red flag go up in your head because I just said the word works from the pulpit. And good for you. Your your little red flag should go up in your head. You better make sure that what I'm teaching is is straight out of the scriptures because whenever it comes to works, it's this really confusing tension. But I just want to let Paul's words speak for themselves. Here in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, 17 through 24, this is what Paul writes. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Pause here. You heard that right. Paul's saying we need to leave behind the old, futile ways of thinking. Most of us are Gentiles here, probably, non-Jewish people. He's not using that word here to describe just the non-Jewishness of us. He's using this word here to describe the non-follower of Jesusness of us. (laughs) So no longer do the things that we used to do and continue strain forward to what Jesus is calling us to do. He continues in verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught about him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Whew, trippy word sentence there, Paul. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says, 
that the way of Jesus, the way that we have been taught to follow Jesus, leads us to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by all of its terrible desires, and, and to put on our new self, which is a, gi- a, a gift of God. It's, a, it's, it's, righteous, it's full of righteousness and holiness. It's almost like a permanent change of clothes. Like you take off this old, crusty, nasty, disgusting pair of clothes and put on this fresh pair of clothes. You know, there came a certain point when I was growing up that uh, my mom stopped, like, cleaning our parts of the house because it was an expectation that we would clean our parts of the house, which is very healthy. That's Every young boy should go through that transition. And... Uh, that included, like, changing our sheets and stuff. And so there would be times where you'd go, like, to change the sheets, and they'd kind of be really gross, you know, because you hadn't changed them in, like, six months, and they, like, crinkle a little bit and, like, real gross. And then you put on a fresh pair of sheets, and they're really clean and soft and nice. That's what Paul's talking about, taking off this old, decrepit, disgusting cloth and, and, and putting on these new clothes. It's a permanent, permanent change of clothes. And I think it's this very reality that Paul, just a few sentences later in chapter 5, is saying, we need to wake up. It's this very reality that we need to wake up to. So many Christians back in Paul's day, and, and, and I think this is true for us here today, you guys can judge for yourselves, They were calling themselves Christians, but they were living lives that look nothing like Jesus, which it makes no sense to me because connotatively the, the, the word Christian means follower of Jesus. So for us to call ourselves followers of Jesus and then to not do the very things that Jesus tells us to do and shows us to do, there's something wrong with that. There's something in- intensely hypocritical about that. There's something very broken about that. It, it literally makes no sense. And, and I think it simply reveals how many of us ha- have missed what it means to truly follow Jesus. We really do have to, we have this hard truth that we need to wake up to. We have this hard reality that we have missed. We have missed something. We've been lulled to sleep by comfort and and by messages that just tell you you're okay just the way you are. And yeah, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but I guarantee you you're not okay just the way you are. Like... You're you're loved and chosen just as you are. But once you follow Jesus, his expectation is that our lives begin to change. Interestingly enough, Paul addresses this very thing in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Following Jesus means becoming an imitator of Jesus. But so many of us who call ourselves Christians don't do that. We don't do it. It's true, it was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to do the things that Jesus did. 
And I utterly resonate at a deep level with, with what Paul's saying here, that we need to wake up. Oh, how my heart yearns that we would wake up. If we look nothing different from the world, what are we doing? When someone wrongs us, we just wrong them right back. What are we doing? If when we have broken relationships, we just let them fester and mold and decay and, and become separating. What are we doing? Why do we look like the rest of the world? What good is it? What's the point? Just want to live in the old futile ways uh, uh, that, that we've been that so many have chosen to live in for generations and generations and generations. just want to live that way. We all see the fruit of the way that people have been living, don't we? The, the brokenness, the heartache, the, 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 the generations of separation and pain and anguish. Why would we want to live like that? But yet so many of us do. We say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything that Jesus did. It's destructive. It's damaging. It's, it's destructive personally because uh, to you, it's destructive to you because Jesus didn't just give us these commands because he was like, yeah, I'm a big meanie and I want to make life not fun. <laughs> like that. That's not why Jesus did it. Jesus did it or God gave us these commands. He gave us these rules so that we could live a life that is good. I believe that there's inherent blessing in obeying the commands of Jesus. For example, if we actually choose to love our neighbor, there's peace there. There's joy. There's opportunities to serve. There's opportunities to share the good news. Or if we actually keep sexuality in the context of marriage, the, the biblical standard, there's blessing in that. Because you don't bring baggage from all these sexual relationships of your past or your future or whatever into your, into your marriage. And you don't bring uh, unrealistic expectations from pornography into your marriage. If you actually honor God with the way you do sex, it's actually really good and wholesome and, and there's blessing there. Or when you live a life of generosity, you know, Generosity is a cornerstone of the Christian life. Do you know how many of my generation tithe 10% or more to their local church? Millennials? 1% of my generation. The next generation up, 2%. Next generation up after them, 3%. The elder generation, you guys are all thinking, oh, like 80%. That's what I was thinking. Nope, 7%. Generosity is a cornerstone of the Christian life. Yet 99% of my, my generation doesn't even know what it is. 98% of the generation ahead of me doesn't even know what it is. Whether you give here or to some other 
organization or ministry or, or, or to the homeless guy on the side of the road or whatever. Generosity is a cornerstone of the Christian life. And if we're not living lives of generosity, we're missing the joy that comes with investing in God's kingdom and seeing your wealth transform lives and seeing your, your investment. You get to be a part of what God's doing here, there, and all around the world when you vote with your money. We got to be less stingy. We can't be thinking, how, how much do I have to give? And I, I'm not, this is not just in the context of the local church. It's like wherever. It's not just about how much do I have to give. It's how much do I get to give? Because who, whose money is it? It's not mine. It, it, we, we think of 10% of our wealth as God's and 90% of it as ours, but everything comes from him, which means that he lets us live on 90% of what we earn, what's actually his. There's blessing in just obeying the commands of Jesus. There's also, there's this other reason that we need to be obedient people, and it's because if we were more obedient, there would be a lot less complaining about Christians. Like how many of us have heard, you know, uh, I just can't handle the hypocrisy of Christianity. Or Christians. I was literally just having a, a, a texting conversation with somebody who I dearly care about, who many of us, yeah, never mind. Someone who we, I dearly care about who left Christianity because she looked around and said, none of these Christians look anything like Jesus. In addition, Obedience is a natural outflow of the gospel. If we're going to say, I've been transformed by Jesus, we need to live like Jesus did. It just, one thing naturally leads to another. There's no, there's no like, disjoint. We, we've created a disjointedness in the modern church. We've said, okay, you're saved. So, yeah, just be saved. And then you can figure out how obedience later. And it's like, no, 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 you're saved and then, Obeying Jesus is just a natural outflow of that. And the, 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 the whole word of God agrees on it. The, the New Testament, the Old Testament, all of the gospel writers, they all point to a Jesus who says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Which brings me to my most important reason that I think we need to obey Jesus. Because it reveals my love for him. If you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. His love for you is, is unquestioning. He'll always love you no matter what. Romans 5, 8 says, when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Anybody ever die for someone that's their enemy? Like, that, that's really deep, profound love. But my love for him is in question and is dependent on my willingness to obey his commands. Um, sorry, guys. I woke up with a cold this morning, and my head is, like, real foggy. <laughs> okay. Ultimately, this is at the core of our passage today, that we need to wake up and no longer live 
these old, decrepit, flesh-filled lives. And we need to strain forward towards Jesus, doing the things that he commanded us to do. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. I'm not... Talk a lot about in this church. I don't want them to know. I want them to know. We really, as a testimony to ourselves, as a testimony to the world around us, as as a testimony to Jesus Himself, we need to wake up. We can't be treating each other like we can treat each other. And holding on to our stuff, it's, all, it's mine. We can't be just spewing at the mouth whatever we want all the time. Hurting people in such a profound way. Fighting people and destroying relationships. And we can't be doing this anymore. Jesus is calling us to something more. He's calling us to a higher standard. Not just so that you can earn your way to him, but because you're his follower, and that's what he did, so that's what we need to do too. We don't have any good reasons. We don't have any good reasons not to do this. There's reasons yeah, every, all of us can come up with, but none of them are good. <laughs> like, well, it's just really hard. Yeah, of course it's hard. The tension is terrible. The pain of, of receiving pain, like of someone hurting you, and then you just having to sit with that and be like, I forgive you. There's nothing easy about that. Well... It feels good. Oh, yeah, okay, it feels good. Yeah, okay, temporary. <laughs> well, my friends, all, all, all my Christian friends do this. We all bend the rule this way. Well, you know, I'm a grumpy old man, and I'm always going to be a grumpy old man, and everybody else can just suck it up, all right? Or, you know, whatever. Well, I'm not a giver. I just don't give. Well, I'm always just going to live in this miserable marriage. My husband stopped investing in this marriage 15 years ago, and I'm going to stop investing in this marriage too. He's doing it, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to survive. Well, my neighbor's mean. Do I really have to love him? We have all kinds of excuses, but are any of them good? So what does it look like to wake up? Well, Paul doesn't mince any words here. He spends a lot of time on it. Chapter 4, verse 23, he says, tell the truth. Take all falsehood and lying. Start telling the truth. 
We all know the damaging effects of lying. We all know the damaging effects of, of not telling the whole truth. I'm not saying go like rain down fire and brimstone on people, but I am saying tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Even little white lies aren't necessarily worth it in my opinion. Tell, tell the truth. Verse uh, Chapter 4, verse 26. Oh, I think I quoted you the wrong verse for telling the truth. That's 425. 426, anger. Take it off. Especially anger that you go to sleep and it and it like man like it starts to grow inside your heart and darken you. That's the anger he's talking about. Anger is confusing because Jesus gets angry. The scriptures say he gets angry. So there's an anger that leads us to sin, and there's anger that is just indignation towards the wrongs and injustices of the world. Jesus has indignation towards the wrongs and injustices of the world. When he flips the tables in the temples, he's he's angry because the place where they had made that marketplace was where where non-Jewish people were supposed to pray. So he had taken away the space for these non-Jewish people to pray. And there was also all kinds of evil practices about, like, the money changing. He was angry that they had taken what God had intended to be this temple for all people of all places, and they'd made it into a marketplace. Indignant towards the, the injustice. There's a difference between that and, well, my wife said a mean thing to me, so I'm just going to give her the silent treatment. Or, you know, my mother-in-law is just really hard to deal with, and so I'm just not going to deal with her. And what she said to me the other day really hurt me, and I'm just going to let it dwell in my heart and rot my heart. And, and that's, that's just what it's going to be. Anger. Uh, 428, stop stealing and start working for a wage. I, I don't think many of us associators associate with thievery. Like, that's the one thing I feel like many of us are like, yeah, I've never stolen anything. But have you? Have you ever snuck into a movie? Have you ever taken more than was told you could take? Have you ever... Have you ever manipulated the rules of a situation for your benefit and just thought, well, they're a multinational conglomerate. They won't miss it. You know, when I was growing up, my dad taught me about integrity, and he said, how much is your word worth? So whenever I'm tempted to, like, manipulate the system in my favor, I always think to myself, is my word as a man worth the $15 it would cost for me to just pay for this? Like pay for a movie ticket or pay to go to the archery range or whatever? Is that is my word worth it? Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, only what's good for building up. It's kind of vague, but you can understand what it, he's saying by only what's good for building up. So do you use foul language around people who get offended by foul language just because you want to offend them? Do you gossip about people? Oh, man, gossip is poison. One-way trip to a broken relationship talking about someone badly behind their back. Do you speak in a rude or abusive or harsh, unnecessarily harsh way? Verse 4, 31 through 32. 
Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. I don't know what those words mean, so I looked them up. Here's what they mean. Bitterness, anger, and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Wrath, extreme anger, clamor, make a vehement protest or demand. Slander, the action or crime of making false spoken statements, damaging a person's reputation. Malice, the intent or desire to do evil. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 3. Put away sexual immorality. We don't have to dive deep. Sexual immorality is any time a sexual event happens outside of the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. Anytime. Before marriage, after marriage, in the middle of marriages, you know, whatever. Between two same-gendered people, with the computer, whatever. Anytime it's outside of the context of biblical marriage. Put away verse cha- five, sorry, chapter 5, verse 4. Put away covetousness and put on thankfulness. It's a big one in our culture. Big one for right now, right? This time of year. We all want something for Christmas. <laughs> put away covetousness. Someone, someone around you got really blessed, celebrate with them instead of wanting to be them. Thankfulness has this crazy way of changing your heart. When you go from desiring something and demanding something to being thankful for what you have, it's like there's a switch in your brain. And all of a sudden it goes from, oh, I have to endure this or I have to deal with this to, man, I get to deal with this. This happened to me this week about the mask mandate. Guys, I, I have to be honest with you, I complained about it. You know what, you know what God did to complainers in the Old Testament? Swallowed them up in the land. Look up Korah's rebellion. These people were complaining, and God allowed the land to break apart and swallow them. Complaining is terrible, the opposite of thankfulness. And I began to find myself complaining and whining, whining about it. Well, this sucks. I hate this, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, the Lord convicted me and said, why are you complaining? What do you have to complain about, Nathan? It's a little piece of cloth on the front of your face. What do you have to complain about? You have brothers and sisters all around the world who are suffering and dying for my name. What do you got to complain about, Nathan? I got nothing to complain about. This list that I just shared with you is not an all-encompassing list. But it hits the big stuff. Are we going to wake up Are we going to live lives that honor Jesus? Are we going to do what he commands us to do? Is our community going to look different? Is our family going to look different? Are our relationships with our husbands and wives and our children going to look different? Are we going to actually wake up? It's our call as Christians. 
to live the way that Jesus did? Consider with me just for a brief moment. Dream with me about what your family could look like. About what our church family could look like. About what your neighborhood could look like. If we stopped making excuses for bad and tacky behavior and just lived like Jesus told us to live. Are you going to make mistakes? Yeah. And is he going to forgive you? Yes. 100%. But there's a difference between making a mistake every once in a while and just leaning into your sin. Let's be a people who wake up to this reality that we, let's stop being asleep. Let's obey his commands. Father, we praise you. You're holy. You're mighty. I pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to be obedient followers of Jesus, of you. That we would choose you every time. Whenever the temptation to sin comes up, we would make war against it and choose you. Lord, I pray that the wider church would be woken up and that the church in this country and all around the world would look different as we stop focusing on ourselves and start focusing on you. Father, we praise you. Thank you. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are holy. Thank you that you are profound and wonderful and beyond words, and, and the God who walked on water, and the God who calmed the sea, and the God who heals the blind and clothes the naked and feeds the hungry. Thank you that you are the God who cares to be a part of our lives. Thank you that you're the God who chose to get up close to us in the midst of our disgusting, broken mess and chose to pay the price for our sins on the cross and chose to, in, in spite of our betrayal of you time and 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 time, and time and t- again, you just continually decide to forgive us and hold us and say, hey, I love you and you're never going to mess up more so much that I won't love you anymore. Thank you that you're that God, but help us to be the people who don't mess up so much. Father, we praise you. You're good. Amen. Yeah.
I love you guys. I know that was a tough one to hear. Um, but I think we can make a difference in this world. I think we could make a difference in our relationships with one another. I think our families could be healthier and our church is healthier if we just lived like Jesus did. With that said, go in God's peace, knowing that you are dearly loved and chosen and his children. God bless.